Disrupting Japan, episode 87. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Justa. Now, I've known the team at Justa for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they are priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. You know, For a few very good reasons, and many very bad reasons, education is particularly hard to disrupt. I think a big part of this is that the goal of public education is far more than just imparting a set of skills onto the students. Although my libertarian friends might disagree, Public schooling provides not only the hard skills that students need to function in society, but universal education provides us with a shared experience and a shared frame of reference that helps us define society. It's something that binds us together. Now, different countries have different approaches to creating this shared experience. In Japan, The Ministry of Education defines precisely what every child in the country is learning in any given week. In America, there are no national requirements at all, and tremendous latitude is given to the states and to the individual school boards. One approach is not necessarily better than the other, but startups that try to disrupt the way we impart skills to our children at the expense of that shared experience. Are likely to fail, or worse, succeed and do long term harm to our society. Well, today, we're going to sit down and talk with Go Arai, CEO of ArcTerrace, an ed tech startup that is trying to both help students learn more effectively, but also contribute just a little bit to that shared experience. ArcTerrace is a platform that allows students to share their study notebooks with other students and then profit from that sharing. We also talk about ArcTerrace's recent Asian expansion. You know, we in the West often make the mistake of thinking about Asian culture, but there really is no such thing as Asian culture. Asian countries have an incredible diversity of cultures, and ArcTerrace ran straight into that. As they discovered that very specific cultural traits determined whether they would succeed or fail in a specific country. But you know, Go tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and then get right to the interview. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. 
Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by crew with two W's dot M-E slash four hyphen startups and get started. So we're sitting here with Go Arai of Arcteris. It's a social learning app based on notebook sharing, but you can probably explain it much better than I can. So why don't you tell us a bit about Arcteris and about your products? The main product we have is called Clear. It's a platform for the students to share their study notebooks. Like YouTube, users can publish their notebook and other users can see it and use them as a textbook to solve their study problems. And if you are a very popular user, you can sell your notebook in the platform. Yeah, globally, we call it YouTube of study notebooks. In Japan, we call it a cookpad of study notebooks. <laughs> right, cookpad being the really popular recipe sharing site here in Japan. Yes, 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 it is very popular in Japan. Tell me about your customers. Who are your main users? Is it high school or junior high school or college or cram schools? The users are mainly uh, middle school students and high school students. And uh, we also have university students and also primary school students. And they use it mainly for preparing for school exams and entrance exams. So when they have difficulties solving Mathematic problems, they look into the notebooks in clear. Well, actually, I can see why in Japan it's easier to market a product like that because the curriculum is very standardized throughout Japan. The national government pretty much establishes the curriculum. You know, every 10th grader in Japan is learning the same part of history this week as every other 10th grader. Yes, exactly. So that's something,、um, that's something that might be a little bit different from. The case in the States, as you say,、um, the learning and studying is the study、um, standardized across the country. And that makes it easier and makes sense for the users to publish their notebook. About how many active users do you have now? Accumulated users is almost 1.5 million users globally. Before we dig into the company in detail and into your marketing strategies, I want to talk a bit about you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you seem like a kind of unlikely entrepreneur.、Uh, your background was in management consulting, and you worked in management in the hospitality industry for a number、yes. of years. So, wh- why start an ed tech company? Yes. So, right before starting Arcteris, I was COO of a ski resort turnaround business between Hoshino Resort. And、um, private equity fund.、Okay. And that was about almost 10 years ago. I had this business plan regarding education. And I proposed this to Mr. Hoshino to do the joint venture with me. And Mr. Hoshino agreed to do this business with me. But after I did feasibility study, I found that it, this business won't make money. When I told that, Mr. To Mr. Hoshino, he told me that he said that the thing I'm lacking is management experience. And he offered this position to manage a new business that they are starting in Hoshino Resort. And that was the 
ski resort turnaround business. You, 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 you went into that path of your career strictly to learn how to manage people or learn how to manage companies? Learn how to manage the company, learn how to um, do the marketing and then yeah, make money and yeah, manage the team. It's always interesting to, when I talk to people who used to work at Oracle or Mitsubishi and who are now running companies about how little of what they learned there applied to startups. But coming from a mid-sized company and one where you were expected to turn things around, was your experience the same? Did you find that what you learned there applied to startups or did you have to learn everything all over again once you started your company? The similar thing between turnaround business and the startup is that both are in chaotic situation. Um, strong leadership and uh, strong will of the management is the key. And what I learned in that situation from Mr. Hoshino can be applied a lot to what I'm doing right now. So yeah, startup is, um, I would call it a series of um, pivots. Every single time of uh, pivoting, you need to lead your team members strongly with a strong will. So was the EdTech startup something you had in your mind this whole time you were doing the um the turnaround business? Um, the basic concept is uh, very similar. We call it adaptive learning. A lot of people use the, this term for adapting the contents and the way the, learner, the learners study. Our product is based on that concept. And I always had that concept in my mind, even before joining management consulting. Okay. So what was, what was the final trigger that made you decide to take the plunge and, and to start the company? There were two triggers. So one is that my very good friend from business school uh, decided to join me. He had very good experience as, um, in startups. Uh, he decided to join me. Another trigger is very uh, interesting. So when I was working in a ski resort and I was skiing outside of the course, with my team members. I had an, had an incident with a tree. <laughs> I bumped, in a tree, bumped into a tree and I broke my three of my um, rib bones. Oh, wow. And um, two of them uh, stick into my lung and um, the lung was uh, exploded. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's pretty serious. Yeah, that was a serious accident. So I couldn't move and all my team members uh, went down to the course. So I was alone in a ski, ski resort outside of the course, injured. And I thought I was going to die. And luckily, someone in my team found that I was lost and um, he came back and called the rescue team. And I luckily uh, got rescued and uh, sent into the hospital. During that time, waiting for my team, waiting for the rescue and if I can, live through it and um, get back to Tokyo, I have to um, restart my career as an entrepreneur in education. But I, I can see why an experience like that and being in the hospital just makes you stop and think about a lot of things in your life. Yes. But what exactly about that experience made you change? What was it? When I thought I was going to die, I didn't want to die before finishing 
what I was going to do, what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do when I started my career as a um, management in that turnaround business is uh, provide a new education service to the world. Now, it wasn't exactly a smooth transition either. I mean, you moved to Tokyo by yourself and, and left your family behind for quite a while mm-hmm. when, you were, when you were bootstrapping this up. Mm-hmm. What was their reaction to this decision? Yeah, that, that, yeah, that was a tough, another tough time. My family wasn't very happy about my starting my business. My father was a banker and uh, he was very good at seeing the risks and avoiding the risks, managing the risks. And it's what bankers do best. <laughs> yes. Of course, I uh, always respect my father, but from his point of view, starting a, a startup is a crazy thing. When, when did he change his mind? I don't know. <laughs> After I started, he seems very supportive. He, he is still very supportive. Okay. Well, that's great. What about your, your wife and the rest of your family? Because it must have been hard on them because you left a very steady and promising job and to follow this, this dream that your dad quite correctly said was really risky. Yes. Their reaction was typical reaction for Japanese family. Yeah. What would happen if the company fails? How much the income will be? And what would you do um, if it doesn't go well? Hmm. I didn't have an answer to them <laughs> at the time. I just thought that I have, to, I have to prove myself to my family that they won't be too unhappy with the path I, am going, I was going to take. How long did it take for your family to, to realize that this was a good path and, and to... To come on board, for some, or maybe they're still not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the funny thing is that um, maybe not funny, but I thought that it did take about two years for my family to be uh, comfortable, but maybe they are still not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can understand that. Yes, I mean, they all see that the news of the startup failures. Yeah, well, I mean, the odds are, you know, the odds are against you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm still trying to uh, answer your question about uh, when it is difficult to... Um, there are many times that we had some key members of the team left, left the company or we had to uh, um, change the product. So actually, Clear is our fifth product after, since we started our company. Okay. What well, was the first one that you were, were well-known for? The, the first one was the um, primitive service of the service that we are still doing, assessment service of the kid about how they, how they study, the way they think. Oh, that was the uh, Kai's product? Yeah, that was uh, Kai, part of the Kai's. It was only the assessment service that we were trying to sell to the parents through internet. And it didn't go well at all. <laughs> so we decided to sell that product to Jukus, the, the tutoring schools. And that is going good. The service is um, recurring uh, revenue service. 
so that was the second service. And we had other several services that we started and we had to abandon. When you pivoted from these products, were there, did people leave the company? Were there splits within the company? Yes, but yes. So yeah, sometimes they, they leave when we, we change the focus. Even if they don't leave the company, people are get disappointed. So the team needs to be um, motivated again. Do you think Japanese companies have more difficulty pivoting than say US companies do? Do you find people get really attached to a particular product or a particular way of doing things and don't want to let go? Generally speaking, Japanese people might have strong, strong attachment to uh, what they are currently doing, but that means that they have an attachment to the other team members. So that is a good sign. Getting back to the company, well, your advertising talks a lot about optimizing the learning environment to fit students' specific learning styles. Yes. How does that work in practice? How, how do you match up students with the right notebooks for them? So basic approach is that um, the back, background of the students and uh, what kind of notebooks they have, um, what kind of um, textbook they use at school. Each notebook has the name of the textbook. And, and this again is something that really makes sense in Japan because there's relatively few textbooks for any given subject. Yes, yes, especially for high school and middle school and primary school students. That's one way we adapt the notebooks to the, to the users. Another way is a very similar way that Amazon recommends the products. Someone who bought this product also bought this product. Oh, I see. So if one student found uh, another student's notebook to be particularly helpful in history, they might also find that same student that same student's notebooks to be useful in mathematics or maybe the next year's history course. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Now, actually, I heard at one time you actually started your own cram school, your own juku. Yes. Was that one of those earlier pivots or was that really just to focus and understand the needs of the students? We are still running... Uh, cram school and the reason we um, we started and running this cram school is to actually understand the needs and the problems that the students have and also we can test our products easily so we can show show our product to them and get feedbacks right right away do you run it as a as a profit center or strictly as a as a laboratory is it making money for you the purpose is, is to run as a laboratory, but it does make money for us. So, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's the best kind of laboratory, I suppose. <laughs> but for such a small company and such a young company, does that get to be a bit of a distraction, having this cram school side business? No, no. We have a very good principal in our cram school, and he runs the cram school very well. So it doesn't distract, for example, myself or our engineers. Rather, engineers can have a very good experience learning about the students. So, yeah. Excellent. Okay, let, let's talk a little about 
your sales and marketing strategy, how you're appealing to your users. So in general, are you targeting the students, their parents, uh, the, the cram school operators themselves? What are you doing? So for Clear, it's a B2C service. So we directly communicate to our users. For example, in Japan, the way we communicate to our users is only through Twitters. Only through Twitter? Only through Twitter. And maybe App Store and Google Play. So we don't do any um, paid marketing. So no paid marketing? No paid marketing. No Facebook? No, no Facebook in Japan. We do Facebook in Thailand, but um, the reason we don't do Facebook in Japan is that the middle school and high school students in Japan, they don't do Facebook and they are heavily on Twitter. Okay. So you're marketing directly to the students there? Yes. And also another important channel is words of mouth. Existing users recommend clear to their friends. So I take it high school students are the biggest block of your user base. I yes. Mean, like what percentage are high school students? 80 to 85% are the middle and high school users. Okay. Now, SaaS businesses are wonderful things economically. Just the business models are, are great. But a business like this must have a lot of churn. By, by definition, your customers are going to graduate and they're going to stop using the product. So how do you combat that? I mean, it seems like you'd have to get like almost 100% replacement every couple of years. Yes. Um, so that, that's... Um, another thing we are going to challenge from now, um, the number of the users goes down when they, when they get into universities. Ideally, the longest term that the users use will be six years from seventh grade to 12. So what we are going to do is um, we um, provide the subjects for university students to share with. Not something very much focused to schools, but rather a certificate like um, uh, CPAs, a certificate for lawyers. That'll be very standardized throughout the country. But it would seem like in terms of a strategy to prevent churn, you've got a, a four-year gap in there. Because after they graduate high school and before they start trying to get professional certifications, they've got four years of university. Yes, uh, some people start take those those kind of exams, the third year, fourth year, but some people take it earlier. Mm -hmm. And what is more, they, they will start, most of the people start studying for it when they start getting to the university. Really? So budding accountants are studying for their CPA exam from year one? Year one. Why don't you apply the system to more general university classes? Is it just that the number of textbooks becomes too many? Yes, yes. The contents varies widely from courses to courses. So if the course is different, if the professor is different, the content is different and the notebooks won't be so much so useful for the students uh, in other right, universities. So in, in a high school, you've got the whole country learning from two or three textbooks the same week, everyone learning the same thing. Very standardized. 
But in university, you'd pretty much have to get the same professor teaching the same class at the same university. Yes, exactly. So the content is very much fragmented throughout the country. So publicly sharing the content won't be so, so rational for university students. That makes a lot of sense. When you originally launched Clear back in 2013, right? It's been a free ad-sponsored program since its launch. You've recently switched to more of a freemium model. Yes. Tell me about that. How did it go? What? Of course, the users can still use it free, but they are very, very popular users in Clear. And we had some surveys. If those popular users publish premium notebooks that they have to pay, a significant percentage of the users reacted positively. Sure. So it's a it's a revenue sharing the revenue sh- sharing notebooks. The the authors of the notebooks get some of the money. You keep some of the money. Yes. For edtech trends, I always see other part of Asia. To me, it looks that like the edtech services are more advanced than in Japan. Edtech startups in Asia and Southeast Asia, they are very much um, innovative and one step ahead than us in Japan sometimes. And I see that marketplace is coming up in Southeast Asia. People started to uh, sell their time to teach other people and people are willing to pay for that. So the clear is also going into that way to provide a marketplace for someone who wants to sell their time or contents. Well, let's talk a bit about your, your global strategy because um, as you mentioned before, you do have users inside and outside of Japan. So where else is Clear being used? So Clear is right now used in, starting from Japan, we went to Thailand, Taiwan, China, and last week we launched in Indonesia. How are you reaching these countries? What's your, what's your approach to entering those markets? So in each country, we have a part-time team members. We have a local university students for our marketing team members. The reason we, we work with those people, they are the people who knows what the students in those countries like, how they study. And you're also targeting high school students in these other countries as well? Yes. So yeah, mainly high school students and middle school students. So university students, they know how to market to high school students because they were high school students two or three years ago. Right. Okay. Now, before we were talking about how Japan's very strict government control of uh, junior high school and high school curriculum makes clear a really good fit for Japan. Is that the case in the countries you're expanding into as well? Yes. Also... The criteria we use for ch- um, choosing the country, the culture of helping each other. Students need to be helpful to other people. They are happy to post their notebook and get positive reaction to them. Now, I would have thought that would have been kind of like a, a universal idea. Which countries are less cooperative and maybe more competitive among the students? Yes, so there are several countries we entered and we, we gave up. They didn't understand the concept of sharing notebooks. 
they they used to ask me what is the point of um, publishing my notebooks to other other people they are my competitors which which countries yeah even china and taiwan is a competitive country for the students to get into universities the students are very helpful to each other and they are happy to post their notebook for other students but the students in singapore and korea they were not so willing willing to um share their notebook to other people and the the service didn't pick up to grow interesting do you plan on expanding outside of asia yes we are planning to expand to in- india and we are also planning to expand to um south america okay yeah so it's it's that magic combination of tight government control of a curriculum and a very helpful friendly attitude among the students students yes now actually back here in japan you guys have recently announced uh, a number of partnerships yes. with uh, publishers ikushinsha with asahi zikai what does this mean is this new sales channels are we going to expect new products to come out of arcteris so they are all content holders so asahi newspaper company they have um brilliant um articles that the stu- students want to read so we are going to distribute their contents through clear zikai is one of the largest education company they they publish textbooks and distance le- learning so we are also going to um distribute their their contents Oh, okay. and so, ecoshinsha as well. Right. So this is a, a a new direction. Clear will both have the students notebooks and the publishers textbooks on the same platform. Yes. So Clear is going to be a marketplace for the learners so they can purchase the contents from peers or the publishers. And also um we have been asked asked from our users that they want to do the do the problems after they see the notebooks so we can provide problem sets well that's one of the things i was asking it seems like this would enable you to the publishers to sell additional problem sets can yes. new content like that yes and also uh when you do the problems that we provide they can come back to notebooks so if when they cannot solve the problem they can come back to the notebook and um uh, review the notebook and do the problem again And since you've got a a large user base who are evaluating and ranking notebooks, are you providing this data to the textbook publishers so they can improve the the quality of their notebooks and the quality of their textbooks? Yes, that that's exactly what we what we would like to do with them. Well, and I'm, and I'm sure the the marketplace being able to sell additional problem sets and additional study notebooks of their own is very attractive as well. But what I see here if you're if you're looking 5 years 10 years into the future. Yes. So you've got the whole nation of Japan, lots of students uploading their notebooks, their own study tricks, their own advice. You've got publishers that are putting up their textbooks and their content. Kind of following your own vision of tailoring the learning experience to each individual user. Do you see clear as something that will eventually be able to kind of replace textbooks and pull the ideal information from different notebooks and different parts of different textbooks 
and present a customized textbook to each user? Yes, Clear is just a platform. It can help the content provider to, how do you say, customize the content perfectly um, customized for each users. It can be audios, it can be videos, any kind of format can be distributed through Clear. But at the moment, Clear is scanned copies of physical notebooks. Yes, right now, only that. But we can expand to that kind of um, audios, videos, or the typed documents. We can also share PowerPoint documents, Word documents. Well, let's, let's talk a bit about startups in Japan in general. Okay. Based on your experience of, of starting Arcteris, what's the best advice you could give someone who's thinking of leaving a big company and starting their own and maybe their, their family thinks it's a, not a great idea? <laughs> what's the best advice you could give them? <laughs> so recently, it's becoming more easy, easier and easier to start a startup the funding uh, environment, um, the cost of uh, running a service is getting lower and lower. Becoming easier to start, up, start a startup doesn't mean that it's easier to become successful. Yeah, yeah. It's easier to start. It doesn't mean it's easier to finish. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's rather the competition is getting higher because more startups are coming out. So... Even if, it's, if it seems easy for you to start a startup, don't easily start. I, I think you're right. There are a lot of people, especially young founders, who view getting funded as a measure of success. And I mean, to some extent it is. I mean, it's an important step. Yes. But that's really just the very first step. Hmm. It sounds like it's really important to understand the whole process and to know what your path is going to be like <laughs> for those next couple of years. Yes, I agree. Normally, the life is much um, richer. The life is easier and happier if you work for a large company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In general, <laughs> it's easier. But both of us chose to leave large companies and start a startup. So what do you think that one thing is that, that makes you want to run your startup rather than work for a large company? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. So I started my, my startup because there was something I wanted to do. I wanted to realize my thought that the people would perform much better if they, uh, they can learn in their own way. And that, that's why I started my startup. If you have something and if you are tough enough, you will enjoy what you are doing. Excellent. Well, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. Magic wand. Magic wand. If I gave you a magic wand and I said you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, you could change the legal system, the education system, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make things better for startups in Japan, what would you change? <laughs> okay. The problem of Japan for startups for governments, for young people, is the birth ratio, I think. Oh. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I say Japanese people need to have more sex <laughs> and have more kids. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, there's politicians and everyone saying that Japan needs to have more, more babies. People, more babies, and they are helping the moms to work. 
How does that help startups? Again, so to have more kids,、um, Japanese people need to have more sex, and the sex habits need to be changed. Did you know that the、um, number of the times that Japanese people have sex is one of the lowest in the world? Yeah, I've heard this. <laughs> so it needs to be improved. The reason it's important for startups is quite simple:、um, the market is shrinking. Not every product can go over the boundary of country. For example, for the startups in the states, it's quite easy. The, the whole nation of the states is their market, and that's enough to be successful. For Japanese startups, it's becoming more they're small and small. So, so the most important thing would be to grow the market. The most important thing is to change the sex habits of Japanese people <laughs> and have more babies and yeah, to grow the market size. There's also, I think, a shift in attitude when you're looking at a country with shrinking or slow growth demographics, like Japan or Korea, and you're looking at a country that has expanding population and a large younger population, say Indonesia or Vietnam. You do get a lot more innovation and risk taking. In those younger populations. Yes, that's right. Yeah, which means、um, it's, it's better to have a younger.、Mm. So your magic wand would be more sex, more babies, more creativity. Yes, <laughs> in、yeah. that order. Yes, in that order. Yes. <laughs> okay. Is that is that okay? Is、that's、that okay answer? I think that's a great answer. <laughs>、okay. Well, listen, though. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thank you so much for giving me this great opportunity. Thank you. And we're back. I think it's interesting that the strictness of the Japanese education system, which has been cited by so many guests here on Disrupting Japan, as a force that is stifling innovation and the creation of startups here, was actually what enabled Arcturus to launch and to grow. The fact that all Japanese students are learning exactly the same things at exactly the same pace. Is what made the notebook sharing model possible. The fact that they're running their own cram school struck me as somewhat useful, but a bit risky for such a small company. It's hard enough growing one business without worrying about a second. But still, Go seems to have structured things so that it's an independent business unit that requires no attention from the Clear team, and they seem to be making it work. There is something else that is unusual and notable about Arcturus among edtech startups. In fact, they're making a success of something I usually advise edtech startups against doing: marketing directly to the students. Test preparation and study tools is a massive and competitive market in Japan, and when launching a new product, it usually makes sense to target either the cram schools. Who will buy in bulk, or the parents, who make the buying decisions, and who are often more—how can I put this—who are often more motivated to have the students study than the students themselves are. Against all odds, however, Arcturus has created a viable and rapidly growing business based on the desire of high school students to help each other study. If you've got a story about trying to pass a test or otherwise cram information into your brain, 
Go and I would love to hear from you. So go to disruptingjapan.com slash show 087 and tell us about it. When you visit the site, you'll see all the links and notes that Go and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And by the way, please take the time to follow Disrupting Japan on Twitter and like us on Facebook. It takes me a while sometimes, but I try to be part of all the conversations that go on there. So feel free to ask me anything. And if you get the chance, check out our LinkedIn group, our poor, poor LinkedIn group. You see, a so called known bug in LinkedIn prevents me from sending out invitations. So the group is growing slowly. But there's a lot of good info on Japanese startups and innovation there. So come by and check it out. And if you like it, maybe even invite a few connections on my behalf. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.